0: morning everyone it's great to see you this morning to, uh, to to be together I hope you will come out Friday night to our good Friday service as are always a blessing we will be sharing the lord's um, meal together as we do that I hope you have your bibles and turn to John chapter 10 we'll be focusing on that particular passage of Scripture, and we're going to finish, come to a conclusion, bring to a conclusion, our series on the doctrines of grace. We do this every two or three years as a church, whether it's Wednesday night or Sunday morning, just to remind us of these great doctrines about our salvation. They are so very important. For some people, these doctrines are new. They've not heard of them before, and that's not surprising because they're not have not been taught regularly very often. Uh, However, they're not new by any stretch of the imagination. They have been taught clearly in the Bible by the prophets, certainly by Christ himself, as we will see. But when you look at the historical development of these doctrines, it's really quite interesting how we got these five points that we've been looking at, the, the tulip, if you will. The doctrines of grace are associated with the Reformation. The church protested against Roman Catholicism and eventually separated completely. The doctrines of grace were in the Reformation, but it wasn't really against Roman Catholicism. The doctrines of grace was a separation within Protestant Christianity. There were a group of Protestants under the name of Jacob Arminius who had challenged some of the theological points of the Reformers. And after Jacob Arminius died, a number of those followers drew up five articles of protest five articles of objections or challenge, and it was called the five articles of the remonstrants. They, they were objecting to these. This particular group, these they, they've been known as the Arminians because they followed Jacob Arminius. They would have clearly and did affirm one of the key tenets of the Reformation, justification by faith alone. Not works, You can't contribute anything. You're saved by faith alone. What they challenged was the idea, and this this is what they asserted, Jesus Christ in His death died for all men. He paid for their sins. He's redeemed them. Equally, all. All the world has been redeemed by Christ. Additionally, They believed that in the death of Christ, the Holy Spirit conferred, if you will, a prevenience or common or assisting grace to every man, woman, child that enabled them to respond to the gospel. Christ died for all. He paid for their sins and and in some ways restored all of mankind to their original condition in Adam they had the freedom now to choose and in that man then became the ultimate determination or determiner of their salvation it's offered it's up to you and I to respond or to decide that was in the articles what is interesting as they were thinking through and making those assertions When it came to the issue of whether a Christian could lose their salvation, it was an unresolved issue. Some said, we don't know. Others said, well, absolutely they can. You see, the, the, the point would be, if, if you're going to follow this, that if, in fact, everyone has been given this ability, and it is up to men to decide whether they're going to be saved or not, the question would arise is, what if someone decides, I don't believe anymore? Do they lose their salvation? Could, could you lose your salvation in doing that? Well, the church leaders met at, it's called the Senate of Dort, and they responded to these five articles of the Remonstrants, And they responded with what we know today as TULIP, the doctrines of grace. And we are going to look this morning at P, which stands for Perseverance of the Saints. The Perseverance of the Saints states that Those that God has chosen out of sinful humanity, that Christ has died for, and the Holy Spirit has drawn to salvation, will never fully and finally ever fall away. They will be brought safely home. That was the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. It's very important. Can a Christian lose their salvation or not? It's something that I think each one of us have to gra- grapple with. I-, I can still remember many, many years ago. I don't even know if I was in the pastorate. There was a local pastor here in Kansas City, Pastor George Westlake. Some of you probably heard of him. Sheffield Assembly of God, downtown, an inner city ministry. He had a local a television program where he would do Bible teaching and then he would open it up. People could call in and ask him questions. And, and I was there. I can remember vividly standing in my living room watching him and he's sitting there in his chair and a young lady called in and she said, Pastor Westlake, I need to know, can a Christian lose their salvation? I mean, she was she was in some ways almost distraught. And I'll never forget his answer. He said, I don't remember if he said young lady, but he said, Ma'am, you can choose today to be a Christian and be a Christian, and you can choose tomorrow not to be a Christian, and you will not be a Christian. it's as simple as that. It is all up to you. Now, Pastor Westlake is simply being a consistent Arminian. If it's up to you and you decide to be saved, you're saved. And if it's up to you and you don't want to be saved or you walk away, that's your prerogative. There's a kind of a funny hybrid today, though, of Arminianism, which is probably the most popular. They would affirm everything that Jacob Arminius said in those remonstrants. Yes, Christ died for all, and he's he's made it all available, and it's up to men to to come to this decision. But the hybrid is interesting. In most churches today, man must exercise his free will to believe. And once he does that, he's saved, no matter what. You are saved no matter what. It's like after you get saved, free will is thrown in the garbage. Because you're saved no matter what. Well, we're going to look at this doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Why is there a debate about this? I mean, why do some people wonder if you can lose your salvation or not? And the reason is because clearly there are passages in the Bible that give some indication that believers could fall away. I don't have the time this morning to look at all of those. I'll just mention a few that give this indication. For example, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 2, he speaks of the gospel by which you are being saved if... You hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You're going to be saved if you hold fast. Or Colossians 1, 22. Christ has reconciled us to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith. Probably one of the main proof texts is a very familiar passage, Hebrews chapter 6 verses 5 and 6, that speaks about those who fall away. They've tasted of the goodness of the age to come. They've been partakers of the Spirit, and if they fall away. When you look at that particular passage of Scripture, Hebrews 6, 5 and 6, is a very difficult text. Two things stand out about this. If a person can lose their salvation... According to Hebrews 6, they can only do it one time. Because it says it's impossible to restore that one again to repentance. So the idea that you can be saved one day and lost the next day and then saved the next day and lost and back and forth is not scriptural. It's clear. If you fall away, you cannot be restored back to repentance. But there's another principle here that I want us to understand. When you come to difficult passages or, or passages that we don't completely understand, how do you understand those passages? How do you interpret those passages? Well, the way you interpret difficult passages is you interpret them in light of clear, plain passages of Scripture that you, you teach, and it's, it's very clear. Well, we're going to see this morning that no one taught the security of the believer more clearly or more certainly than Jesus Christ himself. I'm going to read, if you're in John chapter 10, I'm just going to read verses 27 through 30 again. We're just going to listen to this and we're going to see what Christ says. My sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. and They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of His hand. I and the Father are one. There is a threefold basis of assurance here that is so powerful, so clear, that you can't simply just walk away and, and not interpret any of these other difficulty difficult passages in light of this passage of Scripture. So we're going to see the threefold basis of assurance here of the sheep, the threefold basis for the perseverance of the saints. So let's look at verse 27 and 28, and we're going to see very clearly that the perseverance of the saints, first of all, is simply based upon God's plan of salvation. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. I mean, Christ here is affirming just the fundamental pillars of the plan of salvation, God's plan of salvation is that eternal life is a gift. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. Eternal life is a gift. Here, it's, it's given. And that's something that Paul, in particular, will really focus on when he talks about salvation. We receive salvation as a gift. Romans 3.24 We are justified by His grace as a gift. Romans 4.4 4. To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And then he goes on to say, we get a gift of righteousness. Romans 5.15, he calls the free gift. Or that Romans road verse, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life. Well, Who does He give them to? It's the sheep that hear His voice and follow. What does that mean? It's faith. They believe. They they hear the voice of Christ. They hear who He is. They recognize it. They believe it. And they follow it. When Jesus says they hear my voice and follow me, he's talking about receiving the gospel. They they believe the gospel, they have embraced the gospel. I mean that's the the cornerstone of, of the gospel ministry when, when you hear the gospel. If you're a sheep, you, you say, I, I believe that. That's true. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He came to this earth. He died on the cross for my sins. He was buried and He was raised again. I believe that. That's absolutely right and I embrace that. Just like Paul told the converts in at at Thessalonica, you could read, you've received this gospel from us not as it were words of men, but as it really was the Word of God. That You believe this is God's story. This is God's plan. I don't know if you've heard that uh, there are some theologians who believe that Paul was the one that actually invented Christianity. Paul was the one that actually invented salvation by faith because he was trying to attract Gentiles. And, and the implication in that is that Jesus didn't teach faith as the means of salvation because if it's a gift, you, you can't work for a gift, so it has to be by faith. And so they say, well, Paul, Paul made that up. Jesus, Jesus taught discipleship. You had to follow Him. Jesus taught works. Well, Jesus did teach discipleship. He did not teach salvation by works. When you look in the New Testament in the Gospel accounts, it's amazing. Jesus repeatedly taught. If you go back and you study His teaching, the impossibility of attaining salvation on your own works. You can't do it. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, what does He say in the Sermon on the Mount? Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Oh, okay, sure, I'll do that. What, what? Jesus kills self-righteousness. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect? You could never do that. Jesus, throughout His ministry, encountered people and repeatedly, He had to destroy their self-righteousness. There's nothing you can do the lawyer in roman or luke chapter 10 teacher what shall i do to inherit eternal life what shall i do to inherit eternal life we're going to look at that chapter that parable that's the parable of the good samaritan after easter because it's so important what must i do to inherit eternal life well what is what does he he said well what is the what does the law say and he says Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, yeah, do that and you'll live. That's it. Really? So then he's, uh, well, who's my neighbor? Okay, you want to go there? So he gives the parable of the Good Samaritan. Who was the neighbor? Well, the the Samaritan who saw a need and he ministered to, he was a good, go do that and live. And the point of the parable of the good Samaritan isn't to just be this example that we should go help people. It is to kill us. It's impossible to love everyone perfectly the way that Jesus taught in the good Samaritan. We can't love God perfectly with all of our heart and soul, and we can't love each other like ourselves the way we should. We would fail. Luke 18 A ruler said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And again, he says, Well, what does the Bible say? What did the commandments say? And he lists off, Well, you shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall obey your parents. Jesus said, Okay, do that and you'll live. He goes, Well, I've done it all. I've done that since my youth. Have you ever met a kid that's never dishonored his parents? I mean, are you kidding me? This guy is blind as a bat. I've done them all. I'm good. Well, it's funny because when he lists out all the ones that he he, he had kept, he forgot the one about covetousness. Because Jesus says, okay, well, there's there's one thing you lack. Just go sell everything and give it to the poor. Why would Jesus say that? Because this man is asking for eternal life. Why wouldn't Jesus just say, just believe? Because this man is relying on his own works, and Jesus is going to kill self-right. If you're trying to please God and come to Him on your works, Jesus will have none of it. Go sell everything, then you'll be perfect. Of course, he walks away. He can't do it. That's the whole point. Jesus again and again shows people, you cannot do it. And Jesus repeatedly asserted that salvation is only received through faith. John 3.15, whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John 5.24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. Eternal security, the perseverance of the saints, is based upon God's plan of salvation. It is a gift that is to be received only by faith and not worked for. You're just given a gift. It, if you could do works, if you could do sins that would cause you to lose your salvation, that would mean God would be taking His gift back. Right? Right? Because it's a gift. But if I could do something or something wrong that would result in God saying, I'm taking that back, he would be taking the gift back. Then is it really a gift at all? So if I tell my son, he's about to get married, son, and son, this is purely an illustration, this is not going to happen. But if I said, son, for your wedding, I am going to give you a brand new car. Brand new. It's my gift. Son, enjoy it. By the way, make sure you make the payments or you're going to lose it. <laughs> I'm giving him something, but he's got to work to keep it. Is that, a, that is not a gift, folks. I didn't give him anything. And yet that's exactly the system that those who believe that there is internal security, you're given a gift, but goodness gracious, you better work to keep it. I don't don't want that gift. That's not a gift. Furthermore, Romans 11.29 makes it very clear by the Apostle Paul, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Wow! The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. God never gives a gift and then takes it back. If there's one verse in the Bible that would affirm the assurance of our salvation, it would be that. If He gives you something, He doesn't give it back. And Jesus says, those that hear my voice and follow me, I give them eternal life. Wow. The plan of salvation. But let's move on. Perseverance of the saints is not only based upon God's plan of salvation, it's also based upon God's promise. God's promise, God's guarantee. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. Jesus is making a statement. I will give them eternal life. When Jesus is making a statement, this isn't just simply a statement of fact, this is a promise. Do you believe that eternal life was actually a promise? Here is my promise. You come to me, you believe, I promise you I will give you eternal life. Well, that's exactly how the Apostle John understood it. First John two twenty five. This is the promise that He made to us eternal life. It's a promise. You hear my voice and you believe that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God who has died on the cross for sins and has been raised again. You believe that. I promise you, I will give you eternal life. And the Bible makes something really clear about the nature of God. When He makes a promise, He is going to keep that promise. God cannot lie. He cannot false advertise. He cannot promise something and not do it. It would be to deny His very character who He is. I give eternal life. What is the promise of eternal life? Because it's a promise. What is the promise? Well, what does Jesus say? And they will never perish. Eternal life. What's that mean? They will never perish. Now, Jesus had made these, the promise of eternal life in several times throughout his ministry. You, you believe, and, and you'll get eternal life. John 3, 15. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. John 3, 16. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But in John 10, 28, he qualifies this in, in a superior way. Well, what does it mean to have eternal life? They will never perish. Never. Never perish. Never perish. Ever perish Jesus does something in this where he uses a unique construct it's a little technical but it's worth it so I hope you'll listen to me he used in Greek what's called the subjunctive of the subjunctive of the emphatic negation the subjunctive of the emphatic negation. What in the world does that mean? Oh, it's good. <laughs> it is good. Let's start with the double negation. It says, our text says, will never perish. In Greek, it literally has "me, not not, double. Now, this is why we don't transliterate from the Greek, because if you put two negatives together in English, it becomes a positive. Honey, did you find your keys? I did not not find my keys. That would mean I found my keys. If we were to translate this literally, Jesus would say, I'll give them eternal life and they will not not perish, which would mean they would perish. That's why we need good English translations because Jesus is not negating. He's using classical Greek. He's being emphatic here. They will not. So it would be like uh, not in all caps. They will not perish. But then he uses the subjunctive mood. This is where it gets fascinating. The subjunctive mood is called the mood of possibility, the mood of probability. I think we should go out to eat tonight. That's a possibility. Probable, maybe not. Son, if you clean your room, you can play your Xbox. You could play your Xbox. That's the, it's probable. It's, it's not declarative. So it's this mood of possibility. Jesus uses a double negative and this mood of possibility, which means this. I will give them eternal life, and there is emphatically not even a possibility that they could ever perish. There there is no stronger negation in the human language. They shall never, ever, under no circumstance or possibility, perish. Jesus taught, Eternal security. The subjunctive of emphatic negation. Jesus used in another. In John 6, we looked at this the other way. Whoever comes to Me, I will never cast out. Same construct. Double negative with the subjunctive. The one that comes to Me, there isn't a possibility that I would turn that one away. No way! You come to Christ, and He will receive you. It is... Impossible for God, Christ, to turn away from you. The eternal life is a gift; it's irrevocable. It's a promise you will never, ever perish. I mean, what more could He possibly say at this point? It's a gift I'm going to give you. Paul says you can't take that back. I make a promise you will never ever perish if you come to Me. But the amazing thing is, Jesus is not done yet. It's not just the promise that He made. It's not just the plan of salvation. There's one more here that even becomes like the final nail in the coffin. Perseverance of the saints is based upon the power of God. The plan of salvation, the promise that He made, and His power. Look what He says verse 28. First of all, and here's an added feature in case you needed any more assurance. No one will snatch them out of my hand. This is a beautiful imagery. Chapter 10, as you should know, is about Jesus and his sheep. He has said already, my sheep, they know me. I know them. I know their name. I call them. They follow me. I lay down my life for them. Here he says, No one will snatch them, his sheep, out of his hand. The imagery then is a shepherd and it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. The shepherd having his hand on his sheep. Guarding them. No one's going to take my sheep out of my hand. That's a very vivid, very powerful picture. The Lord is your shepherd and no one's going to get you. He will protect you just like the song that we sang this morning he protects his sheep wolf comes try to devour his sheep the shepherd's there Mm -mm, you're not getting my sheep the robber comes to steal it Mm -mm, you're not getting my sheep he's the shepherd he's our David he's King Jesus he is guarding us I mean, if something could overpower Christ, who happens to be far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, but if there were something that could overpower Christ, then we'd be lost. But if your faith is in Christ, you're in good hands. I'm not going to lose one of my sheep. The sheep that I know, the sheep I know by name, the sheep that I've called, the sheep that have followed me, the sheep that I lay my life down, you think someone's going to get one of those sheep? No. No one will snatch them out of my hand. But if that's not enough for you, verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now the Father's involved. Now he, the Father is involved in this whole process. He has a vested interest in the sheep, the one who has given them to me. You know, this is where we find out what it is that the Father gives the Son. It's right here in John 10. In the book of John, Jesus says about seven times, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, all that the Father gives to me. And you know, what what is that? Who is that? It's John chapter 10 that tells us who it is. It's the sheep. That's who it is. My Father who has given them, them, the sheep, to me, is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father, He's the one, He has a vested interest because these are the ones He gave to me. He's marked them out. These are His too. He's given them to me, so now He has, and He becomes the protector. He is the preeminent protection because He is greater than all and no one is able to take out of His hand. No one has the power, no one has the capacity, the ability to take them out of his hand. And in case there's any misunderstanding, verse 30 says, I and the Father are one. What you have is the hand of God guarding the sheep. And no one's going to take the sheep. They are protected by the power of God. I mean, folks, this can't be any clearer. This can't be any plainer. And it can't be any more emphatic. Hey, you, the Greek enlightens us, but we don't need Greek. We can read this and know clearly that Jesus Christ taught his sheep are going to be kept. they're not going to be lost, not one of them. So the weight for the security of the believer is overwhelming. So when there are other passages in the Bible that are difficult or question. We have to interpret those passages by the clear and emphatic teaching as we see here in Christ. So, when I was in, I maybe was in junior high, I don't remember, but I went to a Christian school and I can remember, I got into a, it was kind of a running debate with one of my classmen, I can still remember him, Bob Myers, and he was a PK as well as I, and he came from a certain denomination and his father had taught them that you could lose your salvation and of course they had some of the verses that i've read that was in he- hebrews 6 yeah see you can lose your salvation and i remember the day it was in mr dyer's classroom i remember i took this passage john 10:27 or 28 and 29, and I had Bob read that, and he read that, and I can still remember the look on his face. He just kind of went, hmm. And he just got this real, hmm. And then he finally said this He said, Yeah, but it doesn't say we can't crawl out of his hand. I thought, wow. That's incredible. I mean, if you just think about that for a minute, that we Jesus says he gives us the most incredible, powerful protection. You have the Son of God who has conquered death and Satan and hell and his Father protecting the sheep and all the fiery darts or wolves that come. He will protect them, but he just can't handle the sheep themselves. They, those, they'll stymie his, his plan every time. It, just, it simply doesn't even make sense. Like, oh, rats, those sheep, they got away from me. I can't believe it. I can stop Satan, but I just can't stop that sheep. It doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, it's laughable. Jesus can't say it any plainer. I know my sheep. I lay my life down for the sheep. I will have my sheep. I will not lose my sheep. I want us to take a few minutes to process what this means and, and how this works for us. When we talk about perseverance of the saints, it does not mean that believers won't stray. It doesn't mean that believers won't fall into sin or wax cold or, or doubt, or fall into even grievous sin. That's not what perseverance of the saints says. Perseverance of the saints says that even though a believer may fall into grievous sin, even though a believer may doubt over some period of time or grow very cold in his faith, a true believer will never fully and finally fall away. Never. It's impossible. Matthew 18, verse 12, Jesus told the. The this, this story about a man who had a hundred sheep, and if one of them were to go astray, what would he do? Now, ah, it's one. I still got 99. No, that's not what Jesus said. He leaves the 99, and he goes after the one to make sure that he has all of his sheep. Do you know that that story is about? Do you know what it's about? Jesus tells us, Matthew eighteen fourteen. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. There's not one of my fold that's going to wander away and I'm not going to be after it. That's not going to happen. They may wander hill and valley, but I will be the hound of heaven and I will chase them down and bring them back. I will not lose one. I think of Peter, we all know that he sinned grievously against the Lord. If you want to turn there, you can, but Peter denied Christ three times. Man, three times. Luke twenty two thirty two. This is what Jesus said. Jesus told Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter is, has a much higher view of himself than Jesus does. He's like, no way there's no way i'm going to do that no you're going to deny me 3 times and then he says this in luke 22:32 but i have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and when you have turned again strengthen your brothers so so the the number of things that are remarkable about this are amazing Jesus knows before Peter is even going to betray. Jesus knows He's going to betray him before He even betrays him. Jesus knows how wretched Peter is. He knows that Peter is more wretched than Peter knows. And He knows that you're more wretched than you know. He's not surprised. He knew that. But then He said this, he had already prayed for him all he's already been prayed for what that your faith may not fail why would faith fail because of your sin because you just you're not worthy you say this is i i can't believe i've done that I, you you walk away you fail i'm going to tell you sin wages war against your soul and when you fail the lord i tell you 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 just want to say i'm done And he says, I've prayed for you already before you've even sinned that your faith will not fail. There will be something in you that though everything in you wants to walk away, you will not be able to walk away. And then he says this, when you return, strengthen your brothers. The outcome was already determined in the mind of Christ. He did not say, You know, if you return, that would be a great opportunity for you to strengthen your brothers. When you return, you're going to return, Peter. You're one of my sheep. I'm laying my life down for you. I'm not losing you. When you return, strengthen your brothers who will struggle as well. Because I'm not losing one of my sheep. True believers will fall in sin. But when we look in the Bible, there is something about a true believer that's very clear. True believers can't remain in sin. You cannot remain in sin. 1 John 3:8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. This is really important for us. If someone is living in unrepentant sin, but they say they're a believer... There is no basis for assurance of their salvation. And if they remain in sin, then they're an unbeliever. And just because somebody falls away, or they're living in sin, I'm not going to go and say, you're an unbeliever. But I would say, as long as you're living in sin, you have no basis to know whether you're really a Christian or not. Because a true Christian cannot live in sin. So what we know from the Bible is very simple. When we look at some of these passages that, that say about that there are people who think they are a believer and they're not really a believer. That's a reality. And one of the ways we have these tests, if you say you're a believer, but you're living in sin, unrepentant sin, you've deceived yourself. Why can't a believer live in sin? Well, John will go on to say, because you have been born of God's seed. You you have His Spirit, and God's seed cannot tolerate that. You would be miserable. And believers, when they're in sin, are miserable. It's the most miserable place in all the world, to be out of fellowship with God, living in sin. And there's another reason why a believer can't live in sin, because it's in Hebrews chapter 12. God disciplines His children. Read it. If you're a believer and you're living in sin, God does not allow spoiled, rotten children. He disciplines them. He spanks them. And the author of Hebrews goes on to say, if you don't have discipline in your life, you're not a kid. You're not God's kid. Because God spanks His kids. Every one of them. And in fact, when you're spanked, you kind of go like, thanks, Dad. I know I'm a kid. I don't get away with this. I know that. It's a source of security. And that's biblical when, when a parent disciplines their children. They don't do it because they hate them. They do it because they love them. God disciplines his children. So you can't live in sin. So a believer may fall into sin, grievous sin, grow cold or doubt, but they will never fall away. It's impossible. There's another thing I wanted to say quickly. Perseverance of the saints is a little different than what we commonly hear about once saved, always saved. There's a difference. Once saved, always saved has taken on some nuances that simply are not scriptural. Once saved always says says something like this. If you accept Jesus in your heart, you are saved no matter what. It doesn't matter what you do or don't do. You are saved. Just accept Jesus and you're saved. I've heard the guy say, just go nail, uh, take a nail and nail it into a tree, and every time you ever doubt your salvation, just remember uh, that tree, yep, I accepted Jesus, I'm saved. Well, that's not true, because the Bible says if you're truly saved, you cannot live in sin after you're saved. So if you remain in sin, even though you said you accepted Jesus, you're not really a Christian. So to tell someone, yeah, hey, if you just accept Jesus, you're saved no matter what, is not exactly right. Because if you say you accept Jesus, say you believe, and yet you go on and you live in sin. You didn't really believe in Christ. You can't do that. There are those that would even go so far as to say that if you accept Jesus, you're saved no matter what. Even if you quit believing, it doesn't matter. And I'm I'm not making this up. If you truly and honestly accept Jesus in your heart, it doesn't matter if five years later you say, nope, I don't believe, you're still saved. That's not true. Because this is where perseverance of the saints is different. Perseverance of the saints is that the true believer will persevere in faith. He never lets go of his faith. That's why Paul will say, if you continue in the faith, you, you continue to believe. See, You see, we are saved by believing. This is a great passage of Scripture, but you can see this in 1 Peter 1, 3. I'm going to read this to you, but I would mark this. This is a, just a beautiful, heartwarming passage of Scripture. 1 Peter 1 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Here it is, verse 5 Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time you are being protected guarded through the agency of faith God is protecting you through your faith it's not saying he's protecting you as long as you have faith but literally he's protecting you through the agency of faith which means God is protecting your faith so that you you don't Give up so that you don't let go. Just like Peter wouldn't be able to let his faith fail because Jesus Christ was protecting his faith. And this is so important because the context of what Peter is talking about is trials. You are kept by the power of God through faith, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. You rejoice, not because you're in various trials. You rejoice because He's protecting your faith, even when you go through deep, grievous trials. That's what we rejoice about. Sheep persevere under the most grievous trials because trials reveal whether we're truly believed. How many people do you hear? They say they believe and then something happens. They're like, ah, forget that. If that's what God's going to do to me, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And they walk away. That's why when you go through trial and you still believe, that faith is more precious than gold, Peter says, because it shows. It's real. And I can't tell you the number of times... Families in this congregation, I have seen that kind of gold-plated faith. They, they lose children. I mean, that's a, I can't think of anything worse. I did the funeral for a young couple in our church. They lost their baby girl. She was like eight days old. And they were sitting on the front row, and I'm preaching, and they want to... Have sung, blessed be the name of the Lord who gives and takes away. Where does that come from? I have been with families, they've lost their spouses, people that have gotten terminal illness. This, all their hopes and dreams for life are crushed, and yet they hold on. Where does that come from? It comes from God protecting through faith. Your faith will not fail. I will protect you. And when you go through those trials and you're holding on to your faith, that is more precious than gold. You have something eternal there. Something like Peter. I love when pe- people were walking away from the Lord and his teaching. <laughs> the Lord turned to Peter and he says, Peter, are you going to leave too? And I-, I love what he says. Where did I go? Who else has the words of eternal life? I mean, as a believer, that's exactly where I, we go through things, and I'm like, really? Look at Islam? Maybe? Look, Scientology? Maybe? Are you kidding me? Who else has the words of eternal life? There is nowhere else to go, Lord. That's that's the faith of God's elect. There's no place to go but to Christ. Lastly, I would just say this. Perseverance of the saints. God keeps His own. That's why Jesus can say something like this. Come to me. All you that labor are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Rest. Why would you, who's, the heavy, who's the burden and the, heavy, the laborers and the heavy burdened? It's people that are bearing the weight of their sin, and they're trying to find approval with God, and they want to be right with God, and they're working, and they're laboring, and they're doing all these things. Jesus says, come to me, and I'll give you rest. The mental trauma of trying to keep your own salvation is not Rest. That's not rest. That's totally contrary to what Jesus says. You come to Me. You come to Me and I'll never turn you away. And I'll give you rest. You can rest in Me. I do it. I'll keep you. I'll, I'll forgive your sins. I'll clothe you with righteousness. You're Mine. Just come to Me and rest. That's the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. How do you come to Jesus Christ? Well, you hear His voice. You believe. You believe in who He is. You believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who was crucified for your sins, who was buried, who was raised again. And I'll, I'll tell you, there, it's a line in the sand. It's, it's, it's a mark. You, you make this purposeful, intentional decision. I will follow Christ. I believe that. And in the New Testament, it's marked by baptism. You, you're like, I'm going to make a public profession of faith. I'm, I'm making a line in the sand. I'm coming out. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning, and you hear the voice of the Savior calling you, he says, come to me. I will never cast you out. I'll never turn you away. And if you come to me, and you believe me, I'll give you eternal life. And there's no possibility ever that you would perish. Let's stand, close in prayer, and sing one of my favorite hymns, On Christ the Solid Rock, I Stand. Father, thank you for this word that the security of our faith is found in you, not in ourselves. And I will tell you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if a Christian could lose their salvation, I guarantee you I would have already lost mine. And according to scripture, once I lost it, I'd never get it back again. But the assurance of my salvation is upon the one who's keeping me. The one who said he will never cast me out. The one who says that if I come to him, I will never, ever perish. Put your faith in him. The one who died for you. The father called you. You were his gift. The son died for you. The spirit of God draws you. They will keep you. Lord, may you bless this to the weak and struggling heart this morning. Keep us, Lord. Keep your people. In Jesus' name, amen.